0: Credit Jimmy Cook for putting that together, but that's not what I want to talk about off the top end of the show. My name is Greg Rakestraw. This is the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan, the rotating cavalcade of stars, continues with me, Mr. Rakestraw, as your substitute teacher for our little three hour tour together today. The phone number remains the same 317 239 1070. Tweet to me at Greg Rakestraw. I still have an email handle here, and it works from a signal that was turned off like a couple of years ago. Greg at 1070thefan.com is where you can email me if you'd like to interact in that direction. And assuming that we're streaming this here, bad boy, and that my beautiful mug, as much as I can hide it behind the microphone, is seen uh, by those of you in the Twitterverse and on YouTube, those of you who have the bat phone can always text the program too, and I may just give out your personal cell phone number on these various radio signals owned by the good folks at Radio 1. Now, the voices that you heard off the start of the program would be Benedict Matherin, Played his first game on Monday night after being out the last two weeks with an ankle sprain. Andrew Nemhard who is going back to Canada with the Raptors being the opponent for the Pacers tonight, a game you can hear right here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan with pregame coverage beginning at 7 o'clock. And Ashton Doolin, who has recently signed a two-year deal to remain with the Indianapolis Colts. In fact, before the show started, I was on a Zoom call with Isaiah McKenzie, new receiver for the Indianapolis Colts, brought in from the Buffalo Bills. We'll talk about all of those topics at some point in time later in the program. We'll have our Pacers bases covered with Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files, with Pat Boylan, who will be in this very chair that I am sitting in right now at 7 o'clock for Pacers pregame, halftime, postgame, in-game, etc., as part of the Pacers radio network. My colleague with the Indianapolis Colts radio network, and like friend for 20 years, Matt Taylor will be joining us during the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Talk about the latest moves from the Colts and if we think there is anything left until we get to draft time. We'll talk about how the team looks different, what holes they still have, etc. With Matt coming up at 2 o'clock. And you certainly know me as the high school sports guy, as the Indy 11 guy, and kind of like changing your clocks... That switch is about to happen in terms of changing your clocks. That happened two weeks ago for me making the switch from being the high school guy to the soccer guy. That happened Saturday at about 11 o'clock because I've got the last two high school basketball games of the season in the state of Indiana. Bally uh, Sports Extra is where you need to go to find those. Um, and if you can't find those, ihsatv.org. For a reasonable fee, you can watch the games. But Northwood and Garin Catholic at six, followed by Ben Davis and Kokomo. Tickets just might be a little hard to come by for those games. With the rabid fan base at Kokomo, Northwood will bring everybody that ever thought about being from Wakarusa or Napa knee. And, you know, Ben Davis, the West side is going to show out as they go for 33 and 0. So I'd imagine there might be some folks that would like to get tickets that are going to be stuck literally watching me on Saturday night. And, of course, Mike Broad, Allison Hayes, the rest of our IHSAA Champions Network crew will have all the action covered for you. I'm going to talk to my friend Don Carlisle, head coach of the Ben Davis Giants, going for history. In fact, he will join us in the next segment of the show. I have another topic that I will get into as time allows. We've kind of set the show up we've got like 45 minutes two lengthy segments in between guests Don Carlisle 12:30 Scott Agnes 130. I'm gonna revisit something I threw out on Twitter last Thursday and I'm like you know that make a good sports talk radio topic hey dummy you're hosting a show next Wednesday we'll dig that back up so if you follow me on Twitter at Greg uh and interact with me last Thursday, It might be a little bit of a repeat, I'll warn you, but if not, it's like a used car. It's new to you, and we'll do that coming up a little bit later on in the program. Now, this is somewhat formulaic when you're doing a talk show like this. Um, even Even when you get to the noon hour and you're to the PM, you're to the back half of the day, one of the first things that you do to start a program is kind of almost like a recap of, hey, Here's what's happened last night in local sports. All right, you ready? Okay. And that was last night in local sports. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, because, you know, the previous three days, I guess three of the previous four, um, none too good from a college basketball standpoint. Purdue, uh, Indiana men, bye-bye. Indiana women, same thing to Miami. And so teams and topics that we hope to have in the program – Well, we'll still take your phone calls, emails, tweets, um, telegrams, faxes, ship to shore communications on all of those things. Uh, We'll do that over the course of today's show. But in terms of what was going to be on my plate from a sports viewing standpoint, it kind of opened the path. I checked a little NIT. Yes, there was a local tie. If you're really a college basketball nerd and a high school hoops nerd like me, the CBI was on last night. Eastern Kentucky and Southern Utah. Jay Cook, I hope part of your parlay of the day was the over in that game since it finished 108-106 in double overtime. Hope you took the under on North Texas at Oklahoma State. Hope you took the over on the game in Daytona Beach. I bring it up because the starting backcourts, Tayshon Comer, Leland Walker, two Indianapolis kids on the Eastern Kentucky team. So I guess if you really want to get into the minutia, yeah, there was some local stuff going on last night. But really there wasn't. Which opened things up for me to watch not all but more baseball than I have consumed in a single um, seating in March since I can't tell you when. And that was the World Baseball Classic. Japan beats USA 3-2. The dramatic final out. One teammate striking out another. But guys, and, and forgive me, I don't have the Angels lineup committed to memory. I would assume that Shohei Otani and Mike Trout like batting next to each other. In the lineup would be my guess. If not, they've shared a lot of lineup cards over the course of the last five years. And we are all given in this business and really as fans to both recency bias and hyperbole. But it is, I don't think either of those two things to potentially talk about Shohei Hotani, if he can continue to do what he has done over the next, say, 10 years, if his run in Major League Baseball lasts that long, that we are talking about him as one of one, that we are entering a GOAT category, not as a pitcher, not as a position player, but the combination of the two. And so he's the guy that records the final out and strikes out his Hall of Fame level teammate to do it. And the World Baseball Classic was extremely cool. So I'm not going to sit here and and break down at-bats and break down the entire field, etc. But as is the case with virtually anything in life these days, thank you social media, even when things are great, somebody complains about it. And just as guilty in sports as social media would be talking head television. I literally look up in the room as we speak. And if you're watching on YouTube or Twitter, you know what you're watching? You're watching talking head television because I'm sitting here yapping into a camera as we speak. I'm guilty as charged. But I look to the screen. and I go, hey, there's a three shot. That's talking head television, by the way. Stephen A. Smith, J.J. Reddick, and mad dog Christopher Russo having a chat whether it's live or Memorex on some ESPN platform that happens to be on on my screen but I've heard a little bit of griping and complaining about the World Baseball Classic that's where I was going with that before I was distracted by Chris Russo Um, I, I heard somebody last week I think on one of those shows basically say and this was probably after Jose Altuve got hurt or that was when Edwin Diaz got hurt. And I hate that those injuries happened. Diaz is done for the year. is probably done for the first month of the season, maybe a couple of weeks after that. And that stinks. But you know what happens in those scenarios often? Or what happens this time of year? And we talk about this during the National Football League preseason as well. Guys get hurt in exhibition games. There's a guy that yesterday, I think, suffered a broken forearm or broken hand in an exhibition game. I think he plays the Tampa Bay Rays. Couldn't tell you his name, but he got hurt in an exhibition game. It happens. And you have to have some level of preseason competition, some level of preseason practice. NFL players get hurt in training camp and gone for the year every seemingly day. Because you can't just show up and go, hey, all right, season's starting, let's go play. No, it doesn't work that way. Guys get hurt. So if that's going to be the case, and if a player or two gets hurt, I feel bad for the Mets. I feel bad for the Houston Astros. But that's one of those things that is somewhat necessary to grow the game. And this World Baseball Classic is phenomenal. Is it the World Cup? No. But it's trying to be the World Cup for baseball. And that's a good thing. And I got to tell you, I feel like as good about baseball as a sport heading into the season as I have in a long time. You know what normally dictates how I feel about a baseball season? How good is my team going to be? In case you've forgotten, like many of us that sit and talk to a microphone at this radio station, a lot of Reds fans tend to work here for whatever reason. And I, I, again, I'm nowhere near the Reds fan that I was five, 10, 15, or or growing up 30 years ago at this point. But I would still say, hey, that's my team. And because of what I do for a living, it's one of the true fan experiences I get to have. And that is just rooting for the team. Well, they're going to suck something awful this year. And I'm still fired up about the baseball season. Why? I think the pitch clock's a really good idea. I think limiting the shift is a really good idea. Give the game more activity. Make the game quicker. We all have shorter attention spans these days. We all have too much and too little to do at the same time. Make it more of a game of constant motion, a game of constant action. I like this. And frankly, having this World Baseball Classic, which you can't do every year, but now you can get back to doing every three years. That is a fantastic thing. I guarantee you, I have I have consumed probably ten times the baseball in the month of March than I normally would have. Now, now again, let me break it down for you. That meant watching an inning or two of USA Canada, or watching an inning or two of uh Japan and Mexico which was equally as good on Monday. But you know what else you saw in these World Baseball Classic games? Full stadiums. I'm sure more than one person went to social media last night and said, "Well, it's a shame there'll be upper deck seats in Miami that don't get used again the rest of the year." But it was great to see. So, Lord knows we spend so much time complaining about everything in life in general, let alone when it comes to sports. The World Baseball Classic was awesome. There have been some that have suggested, hey, what if we did this in the middle of the year? In other words, the years you had a World Baseball Classic, you basically didn't have an All-Star game. You condense this into two weeks and you play it in July with the theory being, A, there's less competition from other sports. You're not running into the NCAA tournament. You're not running into NFL free agency that takes some of the shine off of baseball. Well, there's some point to that. There's some truth to that. Let me give you a couple of reasons why, though, you're probably going to keep it where it is. One, teams are like to put their players in this as it is now. They're even more so that way during the course of the season. Knowing you have to have some level of training and they have pitch count restrictions as to what you can do. You can pitch 65 pitches opening around 80 pitches in like the quarters and semis and 95 in the championship game. Probably going to be where it is. But the other thing you got to remember, and we always think of things through our own set of eyes, our own prism. And in this case, from the mind of the American sports fan, Jimmy, how much in Japan do you think fans care about NFL free agency? Nil. Not a lot. Uh, By the way, way to use nil while wearing an AFC Richmond shirt. Thank you. Good job by you. Not pandering. Secondly, how much do you think the people in Japan care about NCAA March Madness? Nada. Uh, Probably feel the same way in Venezuela um, or Mexico or Cuba or the Dominican Republic. You get the idea. This isn't the American baseball classic, even though obviously all the top players play here because of the major leagues. This is the World Baseball Classic. So I love the event. I think it's probably going to stay in March, and I hope it's here to stay. But it's great to serve as an appetizer, and entree to the season. Because now, that ended last night. You know what happens eight days from now? First pitch of the Major League Baseball season a week from Thursday, and now you've had a reason to watch all of these top stars and go, oh yeah, season starts next Thursday. Again, if if you did it every year, you'd ruin it. You wouldn't make it special. And again, me being the soccer guy, despite the fact I'm not the one wearing the AFC Richmond jersey in the studio today, but you know, you have this money grab of, a, of an every other year World Cup which is basically FIFA trying to get back at UEFA because UEFA makes so much money every four years on the Euros. That's the whole idea as to why they would try to have a World Cup every two years. No, no, no. Having it every four years is what makes it special. This World Baseball Classic, have it every three years, make it unique. Again, to me, there's momentum in baseball going into the season. And for the casual fan, of which I now qualify for that. I'm ashamed to admit there were guys playing last night. I'm talking about talking about for Japan. I'm talking about for us. And I go, I have never heard of this person before. Like the Goldschmidt's, Trey Turner's, obviously Kyle Schwarber, those guys I know. But like the first reliever they went to, I think his name is Loop. I got nothing. Could there was a guy that started named Kelly and uh, he wasn't very good but i I don't know him either because again i'll admit to you okay of the various things that i do i've kind of checked out on baseball but with the world baseball classic with these rule changes i'm kind of wanting to check back in and that's exactly what those things are designed to do to give the casual fan more of a reason to watch so rarely in march do i go 20 minutes of baseball to start the show but i did part of it's because it's interesting part of it is because purdue yikes part of it is because indiana not as big of a yikes but not good bob and then secondarily the indiana women had a great year but miami came here and took their lunch money and they're moving on and Indiana's involvement in March Madness. I think the Notre Dame women are still playing, and that's the extent of Indiana's involvement at March Madness at this point. Again, the guest list today, Don Carlisle. He'll come up, in fact, in the next segment of the show as we talk about Ben Davis. Um, I think most of you have heard about just how good this basketball team is, but let me try to give you some nerd notes, some nuggets to try to cement that fact home. They've won 32 games. They are 32-0. and The 32 wins is already tied for the second most wins in the history of Indiana basketball in a single season. Even where they win on Saturday night, which is not guaranteed. Ben Davis is the favorite, but not guaranteed because of how good Flory Badunga is and Kokomo. Um, if Ben Davis wins that, they would be they'd get to 33-0. They would not catch Vincent's Lincoln, who won thirty-four games in nineteen twenty-three. Frankly, no one is going to catch them unless there is a change in the number of games you can play because Ben Davis is getting to play the absolute maximum amount of games you can play in a single season. Let me do that math for you. You get to play twenty games plus a tournament. That tournament can be anywhere of two, three, or four games. Ben Davis's tournament of choice is the Marion County tournament. They made the final. They won their 16 teams. That's four games. They got an extra two games. You get two free games if you play in the Hall of Fame Classic. You only get to do that every once every four years. Ben Davis is one of those two teams. They got two extra games. Seven games in the postseason – three in the sectional, most you can play, one in the regional, two in the semi-state, one in the state championship game. That's 33. So nobody, again, unless those rules change, is going to catch Vincennes Lincoln from 100 years ago, who, by the way, will be honored at the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame banquet on the south side at Primo's tonight at 6. That's probably tough to get a ticket to as well. Uh, I'll be hosting that. And I'll also be streaming that via ISCSportsNetwork.com if you want to give that a watch on this Wednesday evening. So Ben Davis is going for the most wins that any team's had in 100 years. They're going for the most wins that anybody has ever had in an undefeated season. Warren Central has that from five years ago when they ran the table and went 32-0. and uh, They're also looking to become the first team since Lawrence North in 2004 to win this combination of events. Mick Championship, Marion County Championship, Hall of Fame Classic Championship, and a state championship. That's some of the things that the Ben Davis Giants are playing for. And Don Carlisle will be joining us coming up in the next segment of the show. Now, reference the Pacers and the Raptors, and um, we are getting to the pay window portion of the season. The Chicago Bulls have gotten hot. The Indiana Pacers, not so much. And you may or may not remember from my intermittent appearances on these airwaves and in this chair, I am not a member of Team Tank. I'm very much a member of Team Playoffs. Well, the mathematics and the lack of Tyrese Halliburton may be about to do the Pacers in. The Pacers have 10 more games left to play. They are 32-40. and They are tied with the Washington Wizards, For the 11th spot in the Eastern Conference, that is the first place that does not go to the play-in games. Right now, it is the Raptors, so tonight's huge on that front, who are three games clear of the Pacers in the number nine spot at 35 and 37. The Bulls have won their last three. I think the Pacers got within a half game of catching the Bulls, I think, for that 10 spot. Well, now they are two and a half back, and again, they do so with 10 games left to play here's who's left for the Pacers and when you get to 10 games in the season you can read the entire schedule and it's relevant at the Raptors again ahead of them in the playoffs at the Celtics obviously the best team in the Eastern Conference I shouldn't say obviously Uh, Milwaukee is the best team in the Eastern Conference by two but one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference the Atlanta Hawks playoff team home of the Mavericks Playoff team. Home to the Bucs. Just got a huge win win against the Bucks, but the Bucs, a playoff team. Home to the Ma- – I said Mavericks. They're a playoff team. Home to the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Oklahoma City Thunder, while still tanking, allegedly, also currently a playoff team in the West. Cleveland Cavaliers, playoff team. New York Knicks, playoff team. Then finally the Pistons, who did beat the Pacers the last time they played, and then again the Knicks to finish the season. In other words – Nine of 10 teams left are still in a playoff position. Now, it's a little bit easier to say that these days because technically 20 of the 30 teams are playoff teams. In other words, if you're on team draft pick, if you're on team tank, if you're on team miss the playoffs, the math is heading in your direction. If you're of the opinion the Pacers are better served by being a playoff team, even if it's a play-in game, I'm not going to go all JMV and say tonight is a must win for you, but it would be nice. A loss this evening, and uh, it gets dicey for the blue and gold. Monday night was rough. You led by 20-plus points. I know you had no Tyrese Halliburton, but the Hornets are a team that have nothing to play for and came from behind and beat you. So Pacers, Raptors tonight. Again, coverage starts at 7 o'clock, 93.5 and 107.5. The fan, one of the voices you'll hear tonight. We'll join us in the 2 o'clock hour when Pat Boylan stops by for a brief visit. But it's High School Hoops and we come back. Don Carlisle joins us next. Greg Rakestraw filling in for, well, nobody. We don't have a permanent host yet. So I'm just kind of here hanging out with you between now and 3 on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Back here in the Drivehubler.com studios on Monday. I got to hang with this longtime friend of mine. And as I have done for many games this season, I'll get to spend a couple of hours with him. And as he always does, he outdresses me every time. Probably a better basketball player, too. In fact, I know that's the case, because for 20 years, he was the all-time leading rebounder as the as an IUPUI Metro and then Jaguar. These days, you best know him as the head coach of the Ben Davis Giants. And he joins us now. It is Don Carlisle. Good afternoon, my friend. How you doing? How you doing, Greg? I'm good. I'm good. Um, You've known how special this group has been for some time. But to finally be here and kind of now take this in all week, still three days left before you play the state championship game, what have these last Mm -hmm. couple of days been like for you and your team?
1: Busy. Um, (laughs) Preparation, you know, a lot all the things that come along with uh, making a run like this and being a part of – state championship game but it's been a good busy it's been a good busy for us and uh we're excited for the opportunity
0: but you guys are on spring break both this weekend next is that correct that is correct so so what does that do for you in terms of preparation time you spend with the team things like that
1: i try to keep things as much the same as i can so we practice around the same time that we that we usually do um we still lift and do the same things that we would do um regularly throughout the week so um it looks about the same for us as it does it would if we were on spring break or not
0: one of the things that you and i you know talked about on on monday when we got together at the state finals meeting you said hey one of the things i've got to do is make sure these guys keep you know two feet on the ground and 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 not get cut up in all of this attention and frankly the attention has been big on this group as these wins without a loss continue to pile up how have you done that during the course of this season
1: By doing that myself, you know, sometimes, (laughs) you know, you can – there are times, you know, some people talk about the size of the school and all those things. None of that matters when you uh, step out on the court. Um, You got to come out and play, and especially when you play at a school like Ben Davis, you get everyone's best shot every time you step out. So uh, we've been able to um, just lean on the tradition that we have and and continue to to keep the kids humbled enough to understand that – you know in twenty nineteen we went to a state championship but then and that very next year we lost in the first round in sectional so um as as fast as you as you can descend you can you can descend that same with that same amount of speed so um this understanding that right now if you lose you, you play a bad game you don't you don't come with your best effort it could be the last time and i mean it'd be it'll be the last time for everyone at this point so we made it to the last week um so that's not missed by me myself nor the team uh my staff we all know that it's hard to get here and it's hard to to, to be able to to get a win and you know it down at gamebridge so um want to make sure that I mention um the pacers um, the Fever and Game Break Fieldhouse, field we are thankful for the opportunity to be able to get down there and play.
0: There are a lot of guys that I'm sure that, that you rely on and are mentors to you. I happen to know the guys you played high school basketball and college basketball very well. So how mm. much of, of, of in a practice in a game, in just talking with your players, do you hear yourself say something and go, man, that sounds like something that Coach Woody would say? Or man, that sounds like something Coach Hunter would say?
1: Well, you know, I'm at Ben Davis, so um definitely lean on a lot of things that I learned here from Coach Whitty. Um, excellence is a choice, is a big thing that he would say a lot and um some of my kids get tired of here, you you get you get bitter or you get better. Um, there's no no one's gonna give you anything. So uh, I lean on all my experiences, not just from those guys, but but definitely uh Coach Hunter and Coach Coach Whitty are two of them. Big influences, especially with some of some things that I do defensively here at Bandeirantes. I learned here with Coach Whitty. Um, that matchup zone, I learned. I learned a lot from Coach Hunter. So, um, and just how to be a black man, and you know, going and going along in this field and trying to figure out how to how to be how to be great all the time. I learned that from Coach Hunter. So, um, just figuring out as a how do I put my spin on the things that I learned from them, and that's kind of what you get with me.
0: I know that Coach Hunter is not as busy as he would like to be this time of year despite having by far his best year at Tulane the last four years. Any chance that Ron and Amy and family are coming back to Indianapolis this weekend?
1: I haven't talked to him. Uh, We spoke a little bit. Um, He sent me a Texas, congratulating me on the year and all the things that's kind of been going on. I sent him those same congratulations. He won his 500th game uh, this year at Tulane. So, um, told him I was just happy to be a, be a part of a small piece of the success that he's had over the years. So um, I, I spent a little time on the phone with him talking about those things, but I haven't talked to he him or his family about coming back to, to watch the state championship game.
0: All right, I will call him as soon as the show's over. Okay, duly noted. You're have got more. you busy. I'll, I'll take care of reaching out uh, to, to to Coach Hunter about that. So many people, when when it t- comes talking about a post player or a big man in this game, are going to immediately go to Flory Badunga, and certainly understandably so. But you have an all-star post player as well. Um, I, I guess it, it's hard to single out one guy, but I'll at least ask you about Zane where to begin to describe what he has meant to your team these last two or three years
1: he's been great man zane is uh he gives us a presence on the inside on offense and definitely the rim protector on defense but we're we able to, to play a little faster than other people because we know that zane's behind us protecting the rim so um he's a big key to what we do and the success that we've had over the last two or three to four years so um even as a freshman he we brought him up and he didn't he didn't play freshman basketball for us. He was on JV and varsity as a freshman. Um and we've been working hard. I know coach Coach Courtney James did a great job uh, as well the other coaches, but Courtney works, you know, with the big so he did a great job with Zane. He did a great job with all the post players that we had but uh we've had over the years. But uh Zane's definitely is a, a key component to, to Ben Davis basketball and our successes.
0: You've got this great seven-man senior class. I'm going to ask you about the sophomore and how he interacts with the seniors. I think back to when you are in the state championship game four years ago, Carmel started four seniors and a freshman in Pete Suter. One of the things that, that our great friend Ryan Osborne said at the time, he goes, what I like about Pete is that while he's good enough to play with the seniors, he hasn't forgotten the freshmen, the guys he's going to be playing with the next two or three years. How have your seniors kind of taken in Mark Zachary, the sophomore, who joined the lineup kind of in midseason, what's that dynamic like?
1: Well, you know, Mark, Mark is interesting because he, he played a lot as a freshman. Right. He started a lot of games as a freshman as well, so he played with those guys as juniors as a freshman. So, I mean, it's seamless when it comes to him. He does what he's supposed to do. He's a great teammate, and, you know, he'll give up his own, what he, what he feels he needs to do for himself for the for the good of the team, so... It's always great to have those type of guys, and uh, gives an extra defender and a ball handler. So he uh, did a great job for us this year. All
0: right. Obviously, you have you can rely on a game that is nearly four months old at this point, but you played them as in Kokomo on December the third in Brownsburg. Mm-hmm. Very competitive game. How much do you take from that game and and kind of use that in preparation for this one?
1: It was early, yeah, um, and they were down Spear, uh, Spears then playing that game, so. Uh, they're a different bunch that they haven't lost in 23 as well as we haven't. So, um, you know, there's some confidence there because you have played the team. We saw we saw what they do and uh, and we were able to come out uh, with a victory. But at the same time, you know, we know that it's a different game uh, that'll be played on Saturday night, and we'll be we'll be ready. Um, either way, win or lose, win or, you know, if we'd have won that game in December if we which we did if we lost that game, we would prepare um, to try to win on Saturday regardless of that. Whatever happened in, in December. a Couple
0: of quick things we'll let you go. Don Carlisle, head coach of the Ben Davis Giants, number one team in Indiana, number 10 or number 19 nationally, depending if you're looking at Max Preps, ESPN, whatever the case may be. Again, they've got one more game to play against a formidable foe, Kokomo, on Saturday night. I'm thrilled to have the television coverage of that game coming up at 8 15 on the IHSAA Champions Network. Um, you could be the fifth or sixth, depending on how things play out Saturday, person to have won a state championship as a player and then do it as a head coach so what is it like to go through this experience knowing you've been there and and lived through it as a player what's it like doing it again some 27 years later in a completely different role
1: man as a 44 year old man i i mean i remember winning but like these experiences that you that you kind of go through especially as an adult a lot different than what you experience as a player so uh for me um, yeah, we've been here before, and like you like said, we came here, we came in 2019, I've been wearing my runner-up ring all week, just to, <laughs> to remind me, to remind me. I, of course, I didn't put runner-up on the ring, I put say finalists. Sure. But, uh, um, just as a quick reminder, I remember sitting, and one of my, um, JV assistants talked to me, said, why are you watching this? I want to remember it, yep. you know what I mean? So, like, there I sat and watched Ryan, them cut down the nets, and with Carmel, Ryan, me and Carmel, uh cut down the nets and celebrate after we lost. Uh watching my seniors uh with their emotions that you go through, especially after coming as far as we did and having that type of big game. Um losing the first quarter but lose, but winning the last three and still losing the game. So um all that all those type of emotions run through your mind when you when you kinda of come back and you have a second opportunity, second chance. So it's big for me. Um, and I, under, I understand that it's going to be big for the kids. I'm just trying to keep, like, you, like I told you uh, the other day, two feet on the ground Man, understand that these uh, opportunities don't come as often as we've been able to, to do it, because I know it's some really, really good coaches that have been there maybe once or no time. So for us to be able to do it two times in five years, is, is a credit to my staff and the kids and the hard work that, that they put in over these years.
0: Now, with those two feet on the ground, you're gonna have, a am sure, a great pair of shoes and a great suit that goes along with it. So, uh are you are you getting something new for the sidelines on Saturday? You going with with a, with a classic standby from during the year?
1: You know, it's a big game. <laughs> it's a big game, Greg. So I'm gonna come a little bit different, man. I, I got I got something already, of course, and uh it'll be new, but it won't be anything outrageous. It'll just be something that'll look good. So. Um, I do have a new one though
0: all right now who is who is your suit guy'cause I'm, I'm 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 you know I may try to pattern my stylings you know after d c so you want to give some props to your suit guy You want to keep that on the down low so nobody else can Al, look as cool Al's as you
1: modern clothing Al's modern clothing he's out on uh in Castleton right in, right in front of the mall eighty second street so yeah the shop there man he does a great job. you can go there get tailored get the suit get tailored get your suit get your, get your shoes get your uh The socks. he has everything there, so you don't have to go another
0: place. You know how my brain works. He got that plug for free. Next year, when we have you on ISC, Al's going to be the coach's sideline sponsor. We're going to get Al's on those broadcasts uh, a year from now. Buddy, I am so happy for you. I look forward to seeing you in that new suit on Saturday. Best of luck on Saturday night. Enjoy these next couple of days.
1: Thanks. I appreciate
0: it. You got it. Don Carlisle again joining us. And and I have known Don dating back now for 22 years. Don's senior year at IUPUI was my first year of doing the radio for the IUPUI Jaguars. And so um, for those of us of the IUPUI ilk, high school state finals has been a pretty good run these last five years. Ryan Osborne's been there three times. Don Carlisle's been there Twice. And I've been fortunate enough to be on the call of all of those games over the course of the last few years as well. Kokomo, Ben Davis, preceded by Northwood and Garin Catholic. That's the evening session. You can hear that on 93 WIBC. See it on Bally Sports Extra. The morning games, 1A and 2A. Uh, Southwood, and Lutheran, followed by Linton Stockton, Blackhawk Christian. You can hear those right here, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Uh, and you can also see those on Bally Sports Indiana. And everything available online, pay-per-view at IHSAATV.org. We'll take this quick time out. We will take a further walk down memory lane with an IHSA State Final, which will lead perfectly into a topic I took to Twitter last week, and we'll recycle on the show between now and 1.30. It's Greg Rakestraw hanging out with him this Wednesday afternoon, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy Cook, on the ones and twos. My name is Greg Rakestraw here with you until 3 o'clock. Then JMB takes over on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Don Carlisle, last segment, podcast, if not up now, soon to follow. At 107.5TheFan.com. Scott Agnes at the bottom of the hour. Matt Taylor, Pat Boylan, both during the 2 o'clock hour of the show. Talk World Baseball Classic off the start of the show. And uh, thank you for the kind words on Twitter. And of course, as I go to reference the person that uh, said, I nailed the take of the World Baseball Classic, I deleted that Twitter window. I'm sorry, but thank you for the kind words for the one person that was listening and agree with my take on the World Baseball Classic, that it was awesome, and that we're fired up about baseball season actually starting, even if your favorite team, like my Reds, is going to stink to high heaven this year. Now, fitting that we had Don Carlisle on because he was on the floor, I believe. No, he's on the team. No, he started, but he was on the floor for one of the great moments in the history of the RCA Dome. Jeff Poizel's three-point shot in double overtime to beat New Albany in 1996 to claim Ben Davis's second straight boys basketball state championship. You just heard the legendary Jerry Baker on the opening moments of the call between Brabuff and Gary Roosevelt, and while that did not ascend to a maybe a great moment in terms of a buzzer-beating shot or overly competitive game. Still awfully cool to say, hey, first-round draft pick, number one pick in the NBA draft, first-round draft pick, also a lottery pick, I believe, was Allen Henderson of the Atlanta Hawks. To have those guys, that that's the second state final that took place at the RCA Dome. But the reason I bring that up is a thought that hit me Last week, when Princeton beats Arizona, which I want to say was Thursday afternoon, like Furman and Virginia was like one of the first games out of the gate, and UVA goes down, a sign of things to come. Princeton beats Arizona, then backs that up by beating Missouri. And then you see Mitch Henderson and all of social media reacts to Mitch being the coach at Princeton now, but being on the floor when Princeton beat UCLA in March of 96 and that moment hit home with me because I was there but not in a working capacity I was there as a fan it's one of the few great sporting events that I have been to in Indianapolis strictly as a fan so many of the things that I have been a part of seen done etc. I was there in a working capacity, which does not take any of the joy out of it. But you can react differently. You can act a bit differently when you're just there as a fan. One of my best friends growing up in Chris Stoner, um, I was a sophomore in college when that happened. He said, I'm coming to town for the regional. We're going to the game. said, I'm broke. You're buying. Let's go. You got a place to stay. I can find us some beverages. You got the tickets. We're good to go. And that's exactly what we did. And we had ourselves a time. And being able to be there, and UCLA being the defending champs, Princeton, this would have been six or seven years removed, I think, from that, that close scare against Georgetown in the opening round as a 116, you know, back when 16s didn't beat ones. hmm Well, then they beat UCLA. And that was like the ultimate underdog moment. Now, a couple of years later, Valpo wins a few years down the road. Finally, a 16 breaks through. Last Friday, again, we know that another 16 beat a one, and we'll maybe talk more about that a little bit later in the show. But it got me to thinking, man, that happened. That happened at the RCA Dome. And it got me to thinking, man, I, I was lucky to be also there as a fan when Damon Bailey and Bedford won in front of 41,000 people. I was the, the row from the top, but I was in the building for that as a fan, too. And if you think about what... Most would say is the greatest football moment at the RCA Dome. Well, I was there for that. Now, I was working. Not sure if you recall what I do for a living working. And talking about the Colts and the Super Bowl for the next two weeks wasn't exactly working because it was easy. It was so much fun. But I was in the building for Colts and Patriots. I got to thinking, how lucky am I? So I shared that on Twitter. And then I asked a question on Twitter commemorating events that happened in the RCA Dome. And I'm up against it time-wise for a break, but start racking through your brain. Sporting events that took place at the RCA Dome. We'll take your telephone calls on it, 317-239-1070. I've already got some tweets from last week as a part of it, but I'll kind of reintroduce it again. But the next segment, we are going to wax poetic about something that, well, has not really been in existence for the last 15 years. Yeah, it's been that long since the RCA Dome has been in the past tense. But we'll take some walks down memory lane about that building when we come back. It's Greg Rakestraw, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. <laughs> Our number two, Greg Rakestraw, your substitute teacher of choice on this Wednesday afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us, Jimmy Cook, on the ones and twos, as he usually is. Scott Agnes at the bottom of the hour, Matt Taylor, Pat Boylan, during the 2 o'clock hour of the show. show. And, of course, let's make you some money. We'll have the Jay Cook Parlay of the Day coming up uh, a little bit later on in the program. Now, uh, we had Don Carlisle, head coach of the Ben Davis Giants, on about 30 minutes or so ago. And that led me to a walk down memory lane. See, he was part of the group that played their state championship games at the RCA Dome when his Ben Davis Giants won in 1996. And this was all spurred by last week, Princeton winning again in the NCAA tournament. Their head coach, Mitch Henderson, was on the floor when Princeton beat UCLA in 1996. I thought, I was there for that. Then I thought, you know Damon Bailey state championship? I was there for that. In fact, I was even in the RCA Dome for moments that didn't happen at the RCA Dome. Let me explain. In 1992, I was there when Richmond won the state championship against Lafayette Jeff. And while that was a memorable game, I actually remember the game that took place while that was going on. That would be Duke and Kentucky that was happening while that game was being played. And the scoreboard, remember the old end zone scoreboard at the RCA Dome that was like, you know, the midcourt scoreboard when you had the high school state finals there? And it would flash, and they were updating it like every three seconds, and now I can go back and know that, that was when Sean Woods hit the bucket and when Christian Leitner hit the bucket. And people that were lined up like around the suites and like roaring when certain things happened in that game, So great things even happened in the RCA Dome that didn't happen in the RCA Dome. That happened in the Spectrum in Philadelphia. But I remember being in the RCA Dome for it. So I got to thinking, it's been 15 years. Last Colts game in the RCA Dome wasn't crazy memorable or in a good way. It was the playoff loss to Billy freaking Volek and the San Diego Chargers. Funny how we feel differently about Phillip Rivers now than we did at that time, say 15 years ago, from his final year with this football team here in 2020. But I took to Twitter last week, and I said, give me your favorite RCA Dome memory. There were too many for me to make it into a poll. I ended up doing a poll for like college basketball, but even then, it was tough to limit it to that. Because to me, from a high school basketball standpoint, again, for as good as Jeff Poisel's shot was, I would say it's, it's, it's Damon. It's 41,000, okay? It's the culmination of like a six-year story from the John Feinstein book through three out of four state finals appearances to getting over the hump and winning his senior year. And the first one ever to be played at the then-Hoosier Dome. From a football standpoint, maybe your favorite team is in the Colts. You might point to a Colts loss. But if you're a Colts fan... It's pretty obvious to say your favorite memory at the RCA Dome is going to be, Marlon's got it, we're going to the Super Bowl. This is the AFC Championship game from January of 2007. That's pretty obvious to say on that front. But from a college basketball standpoint, is it Princeton beating UCLA or is it Duke beating UNLV? when UNLV is undefeated and seemingly on their way to an undefeated regular season and a national championship now it's not um you know it's 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 not it's a different building but it seems fitting given the fact that Indiana is still the last unbeaten team in a college championship season dating back to 1976 that those dreams have died in Indianapolis whether it's UNLV in 91 at the Dome or whether it's Kentucky in 2015 uh, going down in defeat uh, to Wisconsin. I was there at that game as a fan, by the way, as well. So favorite sporting event, favorite memory at the RCA Dome. What say you? I've got tweets I can line up from last week and share with the crowd, but I'm happy to take your impact and your input, I should say, right now. 317-239-1070 is the telephone number. At Greg Rikestraw on Twitter. You can go old school email it to greg at 1070thefan.com. Now, it's funny. The first phone caller and the first tweet that I've got, I want to talk about the same thing, which many of you wouldn't consider sports. Jimmy, how are you? It's Airport Jimmy Greg. It's great to talk to you. I think I've talked to every host
2: on the show and finally get to talk to the hardest-working guy in radio, brother.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Airport Jimmy. I appreciate that. So tell the the world about your favorite memory.
2: I'm going to set the stage. 1992, Wrestlemania hulk hogan against sid justice at the time right place was going crazy and then here comes the bad guy papa
3: shango he comes down he interferes and then it hits the crowd runs the return the ultimate warrior no one knew he comes running saves
2: the day and it was the return of the ultimate warrior in indianapolis it was 1992 wrestlemania so i gotta go brother good
3: talking to
0: you, and take care of yourself. See you later. That, 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 that was like a promo that he cut, like a wrestler would. Get in, get out, and move on to the next match. And see, so didn't me know that the Ultimate Warrior was from was from Crawfordsville slash Vetersburg, them to Fountain Central. Nobody knew that at the time. The late Jim Helwig was an Indiana native running through the crowd. I remember about the, I wasn't there at WrestleMania, and we have done basically a, a different variation like of this topic like again on on days you're like hey there's not gonna be one dominant thing that carries the show kind of the job as the host slash producer is all right what do i do that's interesting for three hours to keep a conversation going with you fine people to get you to call into the show you know others you know just give jackass takes i try to be a little more thoughtful than that so years ago, we kind of did a, a variation of, hey, we're so lucky to be in Indianapolis because all of these sporting events happen here, and not just our professional teams, but any 500s, college events that, that, that take place here, et cetera. What's the one thing that we need to have back here? And two of the more obvious things, one was an NBA All-Star game. Well, that finally is getting rectified after what will be a 39-year gap next February. But the other one would be bringing a WrestleMania back because it's going to at least be 32 years in between WrestleMania sites. And as they have gone to more outdoor venues, they largely have kind of gone to more warm-weather, travel-friendly destinations. So I would love to see WrestleMania back here at Lucas Oil. Would love to. I'm not sure if there's really any momentum for that. But I'd love to see that. So Airport Jimmy calls in and says that. And David on Twitter says, first thing he says, WrestleMania 92. I was there and have my ticket stub. So clearly, there's at least something of a populist movement to bring WrestleMania back to Indianapolis. Let's see what Thomas has to say at 317 239 1070. Hello, Thomas. Hey, what's going on? Just chatting with you, buddy. What is your favorite memories? favorite sporting event at the RCA Dome?
3: First off, though, I do have to confess
2: that my children constantly tease me because I call the current stadium the Hoosier Dome. <laughs> even, even though it's now been 15 years, thank right. you very much. And, 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 and
0: it's not a dome, but it's, but it's muscle memory. I get it. You're off the hook, buddy. All good.
2: Yeah. Well, my memory is when Bob Knight brought the Olympic team there for an exhibition game. Yep. And it was one of the first times I was in that dome and the ovation was
4: so loud. I swear the place shook. Yeah. And and I wasn't real sure about the roof to start with. <laughs> and then when that happened, I was kind of like, holy,
5: you know what?
0: <laughs> it's a good memory to have buddy. Thomas, thanks for the phone call and I will share this and I will leave a name out of it. But I was having a conversation recently uh, with a head coach that won a championship in the years of the high school state finals being played at the Dome. And every team, you may or may not know this, especially whether it's the, whether it's now the Fieldhouse or the Dome before that, Market Square, et cetera, to say that's different than the venues these kids are used to playing in would be a bit of an understatement, okay? That is significantly the case for gamebridge Fieldhouse. That is even more the case in the days of the Dome. Where you are playing, it seems out in you know literally the middle of a football field, and you've got all this space behind the baskets, and you've got to get used to dialing in your shot. You know we don't talk about this as much now. Maybe we'll cue it up next week for the Final Four. Shooting percentages in football stadiums always go downhill during the NCAA tournament. They tend not to play until the final four, the the, the last two games, the championship in the football games anymore. We seemingly have gone back to arenas now for the first two weeks of the NCAA tournament, but I'm sure we'll 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 trot that t- take back out at some point in time next week. Well, anyway, talking to a coach and he goes, you know, I was looking at my at my team, and I kept noticing that there was a guy missing. So I went back to the locker room, and he's just kind of sitting there in his locker. He's like, hey, buddy, uh, what are you doing? He goes, that roof's going to pop. I don't trust that roof to stay on. I'm not going to shoot around. The roof's going to pop. So, Thomas, you're not the only person that had doubts of the safety of the roof at the Hoosier slash RCA Dome. Didn't say you were right. Just saying you weren't the only one. Steve is up next at 317-239-1070. Hello, Steve. Hey,
2: what's going on there? Good Glad to be on. Hey, uh, mine was 1984 when the Colts moved here. Yeah, my my dad bought season or pre, a preseason game for three. Me and three of my buddies, man, we had the best time. We've always been Colts fans. When they moved here, it was just like we were
1: ecstatic.
0: I mean, that was that was the ultimate gamble, right? It was the before this was a popular phrase. It was build it and they will come. It was yeah. have a stadium ready. Have a way to revitalize downtown Indian no Place, as my friends from Chicago would say, um, and and find a tenant to fill it up, and that's exactly what Mayor Hudnut did.
1: He sure did. He did a great job of that, and it, we actually played the St. Louis Cardinals at, on a preseason game.
0: And wasn't there actually like there was a there was a Bears preseason game that took place that had already been booked that took place like around the Colts preseason games, correct? Is that right, Steve? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was like, like It was like a Bears-Bills preseason game It was already booked before the Colts came to town, and they, they kept the date. So you could have seen two different teams play preseason yes, they, games that year.
4: Yeah, and they weren't even put our, our team. But they're the Colts, our team, and I'm glad they're here. See, buddy, thanks for your
0: phone call. I appreciate that. Uh, and literally – Great minds think alike. Uh Randall hit me up on Twitter and said when Mayor Hudnett brought the Colts to town, um, it's not a not a, a great sporting moment, but it's one of the most impactful things to happen to this city. No doubt about that. Randall, thanks for the uh for the tweet. And Randy, thanks for the telephone call. How are you today, sir? Greg, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, buddy. What do you got for me? Uh
2: nineteen ninety NGAA tournament, uh Xavier News <laughs> over Georgetown
3: Hoyers to go to Dallas for the sweet 16 I was a I guess a first year junior since it took me two other years to uh,
2: uh, but uh the Musketeers back in the sweet 16 now uh that that probably was the best Xavier team uh in history though 1990
0: but you're you're a little partial to your Musketeers on that one wouldn't you say Randy uh, yes. Okay. Understood. Well, it's it's, it's Randy's favorite. I Maybe mean, not everybody else's. Randy, thanks for the phone call. I appreciate it. Last week, here's some of the tweets that I get. I I put took this Twitter on Thursday. You can keep the phone calls coming. We still got ten minutes for your telephone calls on this subject. 317-239-1070. At Greg Reichstraw on Twitter. Email the program to Greg at ten seventy the dot com. First response I got back: Damon Bailey, high school championship. Then Jason says AFC championship game, I'll never forget that game, never hug so many strangers, uh, I would send a follow-up to, to Jason on that and basically say, the roar of the crowd, there's only one other sports sound in my lifetime that I experienced as a fan or, again, use the air quotes here, as a working member of the media that came close to the sound that I heard when Marlon Jackson intercepted the ball. I almost can't say it without saying marlin has got it, Bob Lamey style. Um, but it was the Marco Killingsworth dunk against Duke in the Big Ten ACC Challenge um, in December, I want to say, of 06, maybe even it was 05. Uh, but but we're literally like the seats are moving at Assembly Hall because the place went seismic when he dunked that ball. Uh, some of the other uh, suggestions I got from Twitter – Uh, Randy, you're not alone. I I got a Xavier tweet uh, last week as well uh, when I put this out there. Um, We had Steve that talked, I think it was Steve, that talked about, it was Thomas that talked about the, uh, the USA Exhibition in 84. There was another one in 96. Reggie Miller was on the team that, you know, headed to Atlanta that was on Dream Team number two. Uh, and Andy got to go to that game and cited that. Jason also jumped in and said, Hey, what about IU and Kentucky playing games at the Dome? And yeah, that was a regular thing. One year in Louisville, one year at the Dome. Me being a University of Louisville fan, I immediately then cited the uh, Big Four Classic with both UofL and Notre Dame being a part of that always a cool thing with again we had a variation with the crossroads classic and now seemingly for whatever reason that has gone away uh joe pointed this out on twitter last week too and i brought this up in the conversation earlier that because of the historical importance of it was kind of the start of the duke run and it, it denied unlv winning back to back and going undefeated because of that it kind of the the final in 97 between Arizona and Kentucky kind of gets overshadowed Arizona led by Miles Simon won that game in overtime and that kind of, that that gets and that was actually Rick Pitino's final game at Kentucky he would take the Boston Celtics job just a few days or a week or two later That was the end of his major run at Kentucky, which seems important to bring up since he took the job at St. John's yesterday. The other thing that in talking about that Princeton-UCLA game, which got this whole RCA Dome conversation started, was that also on that day, you know, for the success that Duke has had in Indianapolis, 1991, uh, 2015, sadly at the expense of the Butler Bulldogs in 2010— there was a, a tournament game they lost in the RCA Dome. It was to Eastern Michigan in 1996. Now, it's a little bit different. Duke was in the 8-9 game that year, and that was the year after Coach K missed, like most seasons, because of a back injury. And that Duke team, went I think, won 11 games the previous season. But yeah, on the same day that Princeton beat UCLA, Eastern Michigan beat Duke in March of 1996. 317 239 at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the program too if you'd like. Greg at 1070 the Marcel's got a great memory Marcel, I'm glad you brought this up. Marcel, share with the class your favorite memory or one that doesn't get talked about enough in the RCA Dome history.
3: 1984 Indiana Black Expo uh, in conjunction with the Circle City Classic. Um, committee brought the first Circle City Classic to Indianapolis, featuring two uh, historically black universities Mississippi Valley State <clears throat> and Grambling. Mississippi Valley State featured the all time great Jerry Rice. Yep. Fabulous game. It was a sellout and it became a staple for the black community for the next 30-plus years.
0: Yep. It's a shame, that, and I understand the finances behind it. There are far fewer of those traveling games played than there used to be, and so hence that's kind of gone by the wayside. But uh, what Willie Totten was the starting quarterback that day for Mississippi Valley State, and Jerry had, what, five or six touchdown catches? Is that right? I think it was
3: five. Yeah. And so Mississippi Valley State never huddled the entire game for, for really the, the the for two seasons. Yep. While Willie Cotton was quarterback, they never huddled and just threw. I think he threw maybe sixty seventy passes that game.
0: I throw it to eighty eight every time too. And Jerry wore eighty eight by the way in his Delta Devil days. For the for those that don't yeah. know, Marcel buddy, thanks yeah, for bringing got... that memory up, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank. Thank you. You got it. Let me get to James's telephone call next at three one seven two three nine ten seventy. Hello, James.
3: Hey, how's it going? Good buddy. Yeah, so uh my memory is uh the nineteen ninety six dream team yep. that came through uh
2: before their Olympic uh tournament. The uh, I guess with the the preliminary trials or what have you. I think we played Greece, if I don't if I remember correctly, that is what the,
0: I'm going to take your word for it because that is also what the uh, person who tweeted that to me last week when I put this on Twitter the first time. That is exactly what he said because there was an exhibition game against Greece here, and that would have been right as I was like starting like my career. So I was not, I was on in attendance as a media member, and I was not there for the game. But yes, Reggie Miller got a chance to play at the yep. RCA Dome with the Dream Team.
3: I mean, that, that's at that time being, I think, 15. I mean, that was the reason I had to go. And
2: uh, I do also remember my dad getting better tickets so that when we got to our seat, we were on the
5: floor, and the team was warming up. And right there, baseline jumper, Grant Hill warming up, I could have reached out and touched him. It was just amazing.
0: (laughs) Hey, thanks for the phone call, James. I appreciate it. By the way, in case you have forgotten who was on Dream Team 2, Electric Boogaloo, um, Charles Barkley, Penny Hardaway, Grant Hill, Karl Malone, Reggie Miller... Akeem Olajuwon, Shaquille O'Neal, Gary Payton, Scotty Pippen, Mitch Richmond, David Robinson, John Stockton. So Barkley, Malone, Pippen, Robinson, and Stockton all came back from the 92 Dream Team. remember Stockton hurt his ankle in Barcelona and really barely got to play. It's part of the reason he came back for the second version of the dream team, which yes featured Reggie Miller. Uh, let me go to Justin's telephone call next time for one more. Before we got to get to our next timeout. Hello, Justin.
3: Hey, good afternoon. Happy to be on. Okay, ninety-five Colts have to beat the New England Patriots yep. last regular season game, won ten to seven to lead us to the playoffs, and the cardiac kid, Jim Harbaugh, My and dad, scout tickets. That was the first colts game i ever went to
0: and let her rip and lamont warren and zach crockett and lynn elliott missing field goals and all the way to the afc championship game and just the second playoff berth for the indianapolis colts i'm gonna sneak one more in ben ben's going off the beaten path here ben what do you have for me
1: hey um we played one of the first games ever there at the uh rca
5: dome it was a high school game yeah we played uh ritter versus uh cathedral and they were using it as like a uh, test run before they had the nfl games out there
0: sure and you, you played for which team uh for ritter and how, how'd you do um i don't think we fared very well I recall, <laughs> uh, the uh, the head
5: coach was mad and he threw all the freshmen in and we were out there playing varsity and we we're like holy crap what is going on
0: <laughs> but you got to play in the game right you got to play at the rca dome
5: Yep, got to play. So it was like one of the very first games I ever played on the on the turf and everything. So and was that was cool. ba-
0: you were basically playing on like a painted parking lot, right?
5: Uh, yeah, it was uh, It was definitely a, a hardcore surface, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> ben, thanks for calling in, buddy. I appreciate that. That's the one kind of area that, again, we'll, 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 we can keep this conversation going on Twitter, at Greg Rakestraw via email, greg at 1070thefan.com. Um, and, and, and if time allows, later this hour, we'll kind of get back to it in terms of of the phone calls today. But it's the one thing that I couldn't go, that's the best high school football game played at the RCA Dome. So let's face it, okay? State finals took place there from 84 through 2007, 24 years worth. And I have been fortunate enough to be on the call of a couple of state championships for the Roncalli then-Rebels, um, I did sidelines for one year for the television broadcast of the uh, state championship games but I but'm I'm, I'm sure people people are, are dialing up or yelling at their it was this game. So it's the one thing from a sports standpoint of those things associated with the Dome. I don't have an immediate answer for hey, this is the best. Hey, this is the top. Again, for me in the NFL, it's Colts Patriots. In, in, in the 2007 or 2006 AFC Championship game. In high school basketball, it's Damon Bailey. In college basketball, for as cool as Princeton beating UCLA was, I think you have to say Duke beating UNLV. Because kind of the moment in time and the pivot that it created with Duke knocking off then unbeaten, a team that nobody thought could be beaten, Nevada-Las Vegas. From a high school standpoint, I can tell you of the number of high school state finals that were played there in terms of, like, the best game, might need a little help with that. We'll, we'll kind of revisit this via the phone lines in a segment or two. We'll take this quick break. We'll talk Pacers there in Toronto. Scott Agnes chronicles, of course, all things Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. He'll join us next. It's Greg Rakestraw filling in, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It is 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Greg Rakestraw is my name. It is the Fan Midday Show. And if you like the topic of conversation for the last segment, well, you can keep it going online, Greg at 1070 thefancom or simply interact with me on Twitter, at Greg Rakestraw. Right now, though, we go back to the uh, hotline, because Pacers are in Toronto to play the Raptors with potentially – a play-in game berth at stake as the games are adwindling for the blue and gold. They have 10 games left to go. It's Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files that joins us now. Hello, my friend. How are you?
4: Yeah, good afternoon, Greg. Good to be on with you.
0: All right. I I think the first question that we get to ask about the Pacers in any setting is, is Tyrese Halliburton playing tonight?
4: It's Technically, so he's been upgraded to questionable after – being out for the last while with an ankle sprain suffered about a week ago, apparently in practice. But they rule him as questionable. I don't think we'll see him, but that's the official word from the team. All
0: right. Um, now let's get to the crux of the matter again. Whether whether it's by choice or not, again, with two and a half games back of the last playoff spot with ten games left to go, it's possible, not probable, that this team is a playoff team how do you view the importance of making the playoffs again hashtag playoff play in games or not making the playoffs for this team
4: yeah for one i can't get with calling the play in part of the playoffs. right purely because the nba doesn't even account statistics as part of the playoffs they don't even count as regular season (laughs) they're kind of lost into space i haven't figured that one out yet but I don't believe it's very important, Greg. I think it's most important right now. Uh, to use the word, Rick Carlisle dropped a couple games ago, and I like it and we will be writing about it. This is the exploratory phase. This is trying to figure out once and for all this season over these final ten games, five at home, five on the road, exactly what they got, who works well with each other, maybe give some confidence to some of the, these young guys going into the off season, like a guy like Jalen Smith who's, who's perked up a little bit here in recent games. And, and, you know, as he kind of battles for playing time with Isaiah Jackson at that backup five spot. But I, I don't see any real value in a play-in berth, uh, you know, one game and maybe you're done. I mean, you look at with Tyrese Halliburton, completely healthy, Miles Turner's dealt with lower back soreness and other things out there. I think it's most important, big picture, Greg, for the team to uh, get a good draft pick here for the third straight year and then hopefully be done with it remember because before three years ago this franchise was the model of consistency they had reached the postseason like 29 of 35 years incredible something the kings would appreciate a team that has not been in the playoffs until this upcoming year since 2006 but now while you're bad there's no point of being average bad you might as well uh you know try to get a good draft pick and there's a variety of ways of doing that. And I think right now with the team prioritizing these younger guys in how they play guys and finish games and such, uh, there's a lot to be learned and gained, I think from this final 10 game stretch, but in the big picture, I don't see much value of a playing tournament if they make it great, but I'm not risking health. I'm not playing guys 40 plus minutes to try to do so. Other
0: than guys who are kind of contract fillers or two way players, let me roll through for people for players whose contract expires after this year, and then I'll get to my question. Goga Batadza, George Hill, James Johnson, Serge Ibaka, O'Shea Brissett, Terry Taylor, one of those guys never played for the Pacers. A couple of those guys no longer play for the Pacers. Um, yeah. uh, in other words, what I'm getting to is this. There is the obvious draft pick, whether the Pacers are drafting 1, 5, 14, etc., that player will come in and make this team look different. Now with, with kind of those – everybody else is still under contract for next year or for many years after that, how does this group look different next year than they did this season?
4: Yeah, so for one, I think I'd start with the, t- the two key rookies in Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard because coming off this year, uh, this they've already played basically two college basketball seasons, right, and then some. Going on game seventy three here. So for one, I think they'll enjoy a relaxing break after really the year that was with the pressure of the draft and then summer league and all of that. And I think they can really get to work in the weight room and and understanding, you know, what it takes to be in this league now that they've gone through it for a year. I think Tyrese entering year four uh, will be even even a better player there. I think Miles. Uh, And he'd be another player I'd be curious if he finishes out the season, Greg. And going back to your previous question, I wouldn't be opposed to the team holding out Halliburton for the rest of the year. I think that's a conversation they have to be having. Same goes for Miles Turner. But um, a a guy you really want to see finish strong here is a guy that right now is a, a fringe, whether he's playing or not, is Chris Duarte. He's probably had the most disappointing season and in large part due to injury. So he's a guy that you'd really like to finish this year strong and have a better year going into next year. But you throw in that lottery pick, you see some of these young guys get better. You see you know Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith, I think, a little bit more confident in themselves and how they fit within Rick Carlisle's system, having been there for more than a year now. That's where you're better off. And then on top of that, you have two newcomers-ish and Aaron Neesmith and in Jordan Wara this season, who are really maximizing this, this rush opportunity. Their lottery picks that weren't playing much in their previous situation. Now they are and I think they've those two have had really good seasons. So all of that combined Adding another lottery pick should push you forward, I think, back into the playoff conversation next year.
0: All right, I'm literally going – I'm not going to read salary amounts here, but these are guys who are going to under contract next year. And, frankly, sure. not all of these – again, there's not enough room for all of these guys to be here. There is under the cap, not in terms of actual playing time. Miles Turner, Buddy Heald. Daniel Tice, you would imagine potentially he's moved elsewhere. Maybe, maybe not. T.J. McConnell, Benedict Matherin. Jalen Smith, Tyrese Halliburton – Chris Duarte, Aaron Neesmith, Jordan Wara, Isaiah Jackson, Andrew Nemhard. These are all guys that have gotten some level of playing time and proven mm-hmm. to be capable NBA players. And as I count those numbers out loud, I think that's 10 or 11 dudes of that group who's not here next year.
4: Yeah, I think you, you need to probably decide on one of the young bigs in Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith. I think it's kind of repetitive to keep going back and forth into next year with them right now, I very much could see Daniel Tice being part of this. and He might be that backup center. That's what he would be right now, except they're prioritizing those younger guys. Greg, I believe you need to decide on one of Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith. Uh, Then I also could see maybe a a brief shakeup in the backcourt, like a guy like Chris Duarte. Um, He was a guy I know a lot of scouts were intrigued with and considering at the trade deadline. Um, but also right now, his value is probably as low as it's been just because of the injuries and, and his contributions. But um, those those are the two main things I could see. And then if you want to talk about veterans, I, I have a difficult time imagining you bring back both George Hill yeah. and, and James Johnson. I think that's a overlap, but they would absolutely have one of them. And to me, George Hill makes a ton of sense. He's told me he wants to be here at least another three years, and then he wants to roll beyond that with the franchise, if Herb Simon Steve Simon are willing. So that's intriguing. However, Tyrese Halliburton, one of his best friends, is James Johnson. And he's <laughs> been an incredible veteran on the team. So I don't overlook that. It's not an easy decision. But those are kind of three areas where you could clean up one roster spot from each.
0: I realize that the, the, where the ping-pong balls fall, and they never fall in favor of the Indiana Pacers, um, but where the ping-pong balls fall largely determines whom you're going after in the draft. So I'm not going to ask you about a whom. I'm going to ask you about a position. As of now, you say, all right, here's the position the Pacers need to draft coming up in June.
4: I think the first spot would be power forward. How long have we talked about rebounding being an issue, True. about the team needing to be more physical, uh, enabling Miles to truly be himself at that five spot and not playing you know, two centers at the four and five. So a position they really haven't had since that young and then David West before him. Um, so power forward would probably be number one. And then a, a true wing, two-way player out on the wing uh, is also up there with of most importance. And I think that's probably more likely with that first pick just because of the importance. That's probably the most important position in the league anymore. And also there seem to be a, a ton of options right there at the top of the draft at that spot.
0: Again, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files and occasionally one oh seven five the fan dot com as well. Um, if there's no playing game, what are you gonna do with yourself like as of April the tenth? You actually would get free time out of this whole deal, buddy.
4: <laughs> a little bit, but the reality is it's just a more unpredictable schedule. Instead of our days being known as like game day and not game day, which is what I'm currently <laughs> at right now, then then you just hope you don't get a random call or text or uh you know press release about something um uh, you know uh that's what you're looking forward to in the the off season, and it allows you that's when i really dive more into the draft right now it's pure nba whether it's pacers whether it's the rest of the league the playoff stakes that's when i'll really try to go onto youtube and, and game film and synergy and try to get a better understanding of the draft so yes it does clear up but there's plenty other ways to fill the time here
0: there you go my friend always good to catch everybody i'll see you soon
4: You bet. Thanks, Greg.
0: Again, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files. Talk more Pacers with Pat Boylan coming up at 2.30. Colts conversation, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts and Matt Taylor at 2 o'clock. Your telephone calls, thoughts, emails, et cetera, when we come back in this quick timeout. We'll kind of get back into our RCA Dome conversation we had going. I'll recycle that when we come back. We'll catch up on other things that are happening in the world of sports as well. It's Greg Rakstra on The Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Don Carlisle, Scott Agnes in the first hour 45 of the program. Matt Taylor and Pat Boylan coming up in the two o'clock hour of the show. The Jay Cook plays the day to finish out the program. Greg Rakestraw in on this Wednesday afternoon, 317-239-1070. Here's the telephone number. You can always tweet to the show, too, at Greg Rakestraw. And you can email us as well, greg at 1070thefan.com. You're just joining us. Took us on a sort of walk down memory lane in and around kind of our guest segments on the program today. And that is, and this was triggered by Princeton beating Arizona last Thursday in the NCAA tournament. And I thought about, you know, it was so cool to say that I was there at the RCA Dome for that as a fan. And that I was there at the RCA Dome when Damon Bailey won a state title in front of 40,000 people and that I was there as a working member of the media when the Colts and Patriots played each other uh, and the Colts won in the AFC championship game January of 2007. That's pretty cool that I was in the building for all three of those things. What would be your favorite moment in the sporting history of the RCA Dome? And we've had WrestleMania references. I love the Mississippi Valley State reference to the Circle City Classic. That was awesome. Had a guy call in and say, Yeah, I played for Ritter. We got our butt handed to us by cathedral. But I got to play one of the first high school football games ever in that building. We've got three or four minutes if you want to keep that conversation going at 317 239 1070. One of the ones that I was surprised that's gotten multiple mentions. Well, apparently, all of the Xavier alumni in Indianapolis listen to this radio station. Because they've called about beating Texas in 1990 in the Pete Gillen heydays. Uh, But the other thing that I was surprised that has gotten traction every time I have brought this up was the 1996 Dream Team exhibition. Steve chimes in and says it was indeed against Greece. And I got to learn the definition of an obscured vision seat behind one of the concrete stanchions in the RCA dome. I don't remember that many obscured vision seats. And I had a pretty good view of those seats because our media seats basically became like the top row of the upper deck, which, of course, at the Dome were still really good seats. You learned just how tiny in terms of the layout of the Dome, what it was once Lucas Oil opened. And when you're on the seventh floor at Lucas Oil, as I am, you're like "Mm, pretty far up here at the Dome, man. You're like, hey, you know, even the worst seat in the joint other than ones, you know, behind a concrete stanchion, um, would have been, um, you know, a pretty good seat to have. So there you go. From Terry, best Hoosier Dome moment, the 1997 IHSAA Championship, the last single-class basketball championship game. We'll make the North beating Delta. Thank you very much, Terry, for that. I appreciate that. Let me get Danny's telephone call real quick. I'll try to get to more tweets and emails if I have time. Hello, Danny.
4: Greg, how are you doing?
2: Good. Hey, real quick. It's coming from 35, so it came up in an era where you know you weren't always able to stay up super late.
4: Right. Uh, the uh,
2: I forget what year it was, but I got to see the first half of when UCLA. Lost to Princeton, right? Uh, I believe it, I believe Eric
0: Dampier maybe he was in the so, first game. Correct. That is that was '96. So literally, yeah. I I have forgotten who the 16 seed was that played UConn. That was in that tournament. But the other teams that BC, the other teams yeah. that played in the tournament at the dome that year, Mississippi Valley Mississippi State beat VCU in the opening game, that's, that's and it. then beat Princeton in, in in the in the Saturday game. Eastern Michigan beat Duke and then lost to UConn on Saturday, and UCLA lost to Princeton.
2: So I got my redemption. I
4: remember it was too late for me to stay because I had school the next day. I got home in time to see the end of the game on TV. Very bitter, never forgot that. A couple years later, uh, again, you're going to have to help me on the year. Detroit, I believe, bounced UCLA in the first round. Jalen Rose
2: was on the Pacers then because he was on one side with his Detroit Tigers hat. Reggie was on the other side with the UCLA hat. They had a little fun with them on the big screen. But uh got my redemption to actually see
0: UCLA go down a second time. Uh, Danny, I believe that was either 99 or 2001. But yes, the Dome was not kind to UCLA. Let me get to Charlie real quick. I'm up against the time wise. Hello, Charlie. Yeah. What you got for us, sir?
3: Yeah, uh, the exhibition baseball game
0: between the old-timers. Yeah, and it it's it amazing how this works. I literally got a buddy of mine uh, on Twitter and Joe that just said the exact same thing. Basically, he goes, I enjoyed the old-timers baseball game, but it was clear the dome wasn't built for baseball. <laughs> well, that's,
3: that, that's very true, very true. Little, it, was, it was still pretty cool,
0: though. A little short porch down the left field line. Joe, or, or sorry, Charlie, thank you very much. And Joe, thank you for your tweet as well. Yes, kids, at one point in time. The idea was to bring a baseball team to Indianapolis and rename them the Indianapolis Arrows. That was actually a thing in the eighties and thinking about having them play at the RCA dome, by the way, and another thing that I would share with you, by the way, Tony, uh, great picture on Twitter. Uh, unfortunately, the, the, the game you cited while well, a great memory and a win for the Colts in 1996, the Colts were 0 10 when they won that game against the Packers. But thank you, Tony, for that on Twitter. Um, there's there is college baseball played at what u.s bank the viking ship in minnesota which is kind of odd to see it even though the twins don't play there still play a lot of college baseball and if you want if you still want to see baseball played in an odd fitting dome you can look for college baseball in february and march in minnesota that's your opportunity to be able to see something exactly like that up against it time wise if you're on hold tweet me uh, or email me just because we're gonna have time to get to your telephone call matt taylor radio voice of the indianapolis colts isaiah mckenzie new member of the colts are the colts largely done until draft weekend we'll ask matt that exact question when we come back on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan (laughs) final hour of the show greg Rakestraw filling in on this wednesday afternoon 317-239-1070 317-239-1070 is telephone number with which to interact with me if you would like. Although, we've got most of this hour covered. Matt Taylor is standing by. Pat Boylan, after that, we will make you some money with Jimmy Cook at the end of the program and gets ready for the ride with JMV. But to the hotline we go. Um, There is never a slow time in his job at 56th Street. As free agency is winding down, his focus now goes towards the draft coming up on April 27th, 28th, and 29th. It is the radio voice of the Indianapolis Colts. It's Matt Taylor. Hello, my friend. How are you? Good, hey, Greg. What's going on? Well, you know, uh, we might be fighting some some cell phone gremlins with you, so hopefully you're in the right portion of the building <laughs> where they're not blocking your signal today.
2: That's right. I can I can try to tractor beam all the Verizon signal to the building into my cell phone as we speak right now for the next 10, 15 minutes. Hopefully we can make it through. If not, I'll call you back. But, yeah, you never know what nooks and crannies of the building you're going to lose out on either Wi-Fi coverage or cell coverage because it's, it's massive, it's sprawling, but we'll do our best.
0: There are, by the way, three different HVAC systems that run through the Colts Complex, in case you're wondering about the three, thre- at, at, like, le- at least. Um, because like of Different editions f- of the years. years. ago, there was three. Now there's 37 <laughs> of them, apparently. Uh, and as Matt emails me every Thursday, uh, our conversation is brought to you by Verizon, the 5G network that America relies on, uh, because that's <laughs> seared into my brain as the host of, of the Colts postgame show. Um, all right, so Um, There haven't been these huge splashes in free agency, but there have been additions nonetheless. It's kind of worked backwards. Isaiah McKenzie, he met with the media today. What are your expectations for what the veteran from Buffalo brings to the table here in Indianapolis?
2: Yeah, no, I think as of right now, you sort of pencil him in as that main slot receiver, that replacement for Paris Campbell, Uh, a guy that's got a lot of durability. You know, last five years with the Buffalo Bills, he's only missed two games. Um, he's he's a shorter guy, shorter than the Colts have had uh, in their wide receiver core the last couple of years. I think he's only five foot eight, about a buck eighty. But he's very quick. Uh, he's got four four speed, and the Buffalo Bills have been really creative in how they use him. They use him uh, obviously in the slot. They split him out wide, but they use him in the gadget games, some jet sweeps, uh, line him up in the backfield as well. He's got forty-seven career carries as a sort of hybrid player. Uh, you know, guy that can, you know, again carry the football. He can. Uh, he's big with with yards after the catch. So I think with his speed, his durability, and his versatility, you should also mention too that he is a has been a kickoff return man. Maybe more importantly, to the Colts, a punt return guy in the past, and that's big because they really haven't had a consistent punt returner. Ironically, since they traded. Naeem Hines to the Buffalo Bills. That's where McKenzie comes from in free agency um, after they signed a couple of wide receiver free agents uh, there in Buffalo this past week, made him available uh, to the Colts to sign him in free agency. So um, I like it in terms of skill, versatility, durability, as I said. And, you know, I talked to him today. He said that he really has – uh no qualms with the Colts not knowing what they're going to do at quarterback right Mm -hmm. now he's like I played I played with a lot of different quarterbacks a lot of different guys a lot of different offenses I can adapt I can make it work I can be a playmaker for just about anybody it's my job to get open it's my job to make plays and so from that standpoint whether it's Gardner Minshew or a rookie quarterback or whatever Isaiah McKenzie is happy to be here happy to you know, link up with Shane Steichen, Jim Bob Cooter within the offense. You know, those two guys kind of orchestrating things. Um, but this is a, a a playmaking, speedy, wide receiver for the Colts and a guy that um, kind of a new toy that they can play with and, and uh, come up with creative ways to get him the football in space.
0: All right, Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pierce, Ashton Doolin, Isaiah McKenzie, Any other additions you think likely to come from a draft class, or could there be another veteran brought in at the wide receiver position?
2: Yeah, from a free agent standpoint, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see on that one. But I would not be shocked at all to see the Colts invest high in the draft, either in the second round or third round, assuming they hang on to that first-round pick and don't trade up and have to give up you know, assets uh, that they could use to draft wide receivers in this draft. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense if the Colts go the route of picking a quarterback in the first round to pair that guy up with a young, dynamic, playmaking wide receiver that's the same age, you know, same rookie contract, those guys kind of going through the same things in terms of acclimating into the league and and all of that. So I think kind of like that Andrew Luck, T.Y. Hilton you know, comparison or or analogy you want to use when those guys got really close and built that bond throughout their entirety uh, with their careers here in Indianapolis. So I think it makes a lot of sense for the Colts to address that in the draft. Um, but obviously, you know, the need and their evaluation, they have to match up. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But no, not at all. I would not be shocked to see that for the Colts uh, to continue to add weapons for potentially a, a rookie quarterback next year to kind of take some of that responsibility and all of that pressure off of that guy as, as best the Colts can.
0: How much interaction have you had a chance to have with either Coach Steichen, offense coordinator, obviously Gus Bradley, you know, back from a year ago, but new position coaches, etc. What sort of interaction have you had with those new faces and, and new, you know, names in the building, so to speak?
2: Yeah, so obviously, you know, talk with off to the side Shane Steichen a little bit, the combine, met him uh, and and interact with him sort of on the record interview-wise, his first day on the job when he came in and, you know, was put through the car wash of having to meet with the press and do interviews. He came back to the studio that day uh, and and did an interview with us here on Colts.com. So that's really been the extent of it with Shane Steichen. Obviously, he's a busy guy. As soon as he, he was hired, he was kind of behind the eight ball, You know, taking the Eagles to the Super Bowl and then getting the job, having to fill out a staff and then having to watch all of this tape on in-house free agents, getting up to speed on the 2023 NFL draft class. Kind of the same thing with Jim Bob Cooter. So we've had the chance to talk to all of the new coaches on the staff, primarily guys on the offensive side of the ball with Cam Turner. The quarterbacks coach Brian Mason the special teams coach Tony Sperano Jr is now the offensive line coach so all of these guys have come down and talked with us and did uh, you know formal formal interviews uh, for audio and for video so it's kind of a get to know you piece but all these guys are you know for the most part young guys you know they're they're under the age of 40 taking on new responsibilities and they've been in the NFL before like if you look at guys like Cam Turner and Tony Sperano, they've, they've been, uh, in, in, in the case of Sperano, he's been an assistant offensive line coach really for the last six years, but now he is the guy. He is the permanent offensive line coach. So these are guys that have been around the league for a while, but they're taking on bigger roles or stepping into roles for the first time. And so from that standpoint, it's exciting as they try to, again, collaborate with Shane Steichen and, and fix this offense from last year that um, just quite honestly, wasn't up to snuff, didn't score enough points and uh, did not, um, you know, wasn't able to keep the Colts in these games when the defense was playing well. But then obviously that, that unit fell off the cliff towards the end of the season. So it's exciting to see, you know, some, some fresh guys with fresh perspective and, all the innovation and creativity they might bring as as young guys under the age of 40.
0: Again, Matt Taylor, voice of the Indianapolis Colts, Greg Reichstrong with you on 935 and 1075 the Fan. Um the fact that Stefan Gilmore is moving on not overly a surprise. Again, it's not because of his level of play. His level of play was fantastic. You understand the desire at an advanced age in the National Football League to play on a team that you think is closer to a Super Bowl and I think the Cowboys obviously would fit that bill. Going into 2023, what does the cornerback position now look like for the Indianapolis Colts?
2: Yeah, right now I would say you know, that's one of those positions that you know still kind of in flux. TBD on what the Colts are going to do there, and you know who those starters, who those key contributors for next season are going to be. Because you're right, Stephon Gilmore, even though he's going into age 33 season in the NFL, there's no denying he was top five best players for the Colts last year, consistent, reliable, durable. I mean, he played a career high number of snaps. I think it was like over 1,100 snaps last year on defense. And he made some game changing and game winning plays for the Colts down the stretch. And without him now in that back end, it is Dallas Flowers. It's Isaiah Rogers. It's Tony Brown. It's Kenny Moore. And Kenny's trying to bounce back from a frustrating season last year, frustrating in the sense that, you know those were the words he used to describe it at the end of the season. You know He said he just, he just didn't gel uh, within the scheme for whatever reason. He was really disappointed in himself. He wasn't even able to get a single interception last year. So I think person uh, from an from a individual standpoint, Kenny Moore is looking to bounce back. Uh, and and do something big in year number two under Gus Bradley. Um, But Tony Brown's back in free agency, but he was primarily a special teams guy in special team snaps. Uh, But I know they're high on Isaiah Rogers. Same thing with Dallas Flowers, who had to play more on defense towards the end of last year. Uh, But, again, the cornerback depth uh, of this draft class is really good. I mean, all the people that you talk to about the draft say, how deep this corner group is, and how you can get some really good value, maybe even you know rounds three and four, some guys come in and maybe platoon or you know be a key contributor for uh, for you in the secondary. Uh, but also in the same uh, vein, there in the secondary in the back end, you know, safety is a sneaky position kind of as well. I mean, I know you got Julian Blackman coming back and Rodney Thomas, uh, but but what do you do with with Rodney McLeod? I mean he's still a free agent and played so good for you last year. So you have to make a decision, you know, in in that regard, he was a starter for you from about week three on. And then also too, you know, with, with McLeod's decision, how much does uh, Nick cross factor into that as well? I mean, we really didn't see a whole lot of him past training camp in the early part of the season, kind of relegated to special teams work. Uh, You know, is it time for him to grow and, baptism by fire because the Colts are really high on him I mean he's an athletic freak they moved up high in the draft to get him moved up in the
0: we may have lost Matt's cell phone it was flickering there for a while it may have up and left us let's put him on hold we'll see if we can uh, track Matt back down because he was rolling he was going from the cornerback position the safety position he was flying through the Colts defensive depth chart on us and then poof up and gone. I was getting ready to get my next question lined up for him. And see, now, instead of calling from his cell phone, now he calls from his office line. The wise move from a landline, though he still exists, by the way. Matt Taylor calls us back here on the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Your safety depth chart breakdown was fantastic, by the way. You, you were in mid-flow on that. I'll, I'll go ahead and move on to the next question. So we literally have talked around every position, and now we get to the quarterback spot. What sort of homework are you doing six weeks out? I guess it's five weeks out now before draft day. What sort of scouting are you doing for three or four potential quarterback options that could be there for the Colts at pick number
4: four?
2: Just strengths. Uh, just trying to know who these guys are, sort of on and off the field, what they bring to uh, their potential new homes. And we're going to have a draft show coming up. We're going to we're going to go live again, uh, do pick-by-pick uh, analysis and, and a draft show on Thursday, August 27th, I think it is, and then the 28th is on Friday. So we're going to be live with you pick-by-pick uh, from the start of round one until the end of round three on Friday. Friday night so excited about that Rick Venturi's coming back Joe Wrights is going to be with us on radio you can hear it all here on on the fan 935 1075 the fan and uh, be working hard getting ready for the show or making our draft profiles you know our audio profiles once uh, picks are selected So we'll have those and kind of do a nice little production value to the show. And then, you know, basically just tee it up for Rick because Rick's watching four hours of tape every day. (laughs) As you know, Greg, from the middle of January until uh, the the draft, uh, you know, that that first round of the draft on Thursday, he's going to have it all ready to go on his old school notebook, pen, and paper. And uh, he'll have all of his analysis written down there and ready to spew it all out. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing the nuts and the bolts and uh, be in air traffic control that night and getting everything logistically ready to go and then turning it over to Rick and Joe for uh, the, the pros pro analysis of the former coach, the former player, putting things into perspective. So excited about it. I think we do a really good job. I'm always proud of that show. I mean, Casey Valier does an unbelievable job of, of preparing for it. And getting us set, getting us ready to go with all the production work and everything. I I try to help as best I can, but I just kind of stay out of his way because, as you know, he's got a process, he's got a plan, he's got to organize, he sticks to it. But, um, yeah, that's always one of the most entertaining and fun weekends of the year. Some long days, long nights, long hours, but it's fun, especially this year when you're talking about the magnitude of the draft and the ramifications it can have on the Colts really for the next five, ten years.
0: All right, so with that, our you or Casey or both of you going to change your hairstyle, whether it's on the top of your head or on the face, to mimic a Gardner Minshew look? Is that possible? <laughs>
2: Oh, uh, you know me. I, I if I tried to grow facial hair, it would take me about three years. I think I have ah uh, chest hair, um, so that's that's really not in the cards for me. Um, and I think also too, I've had the same haircut since I was ten, so at this point, it's not going anywhere. But Gardner Minshew came in here, man, and like he's just so comfortable and and just cool and. Chill with who he is and who, you know, just his persona. I mean, he came in here wearing a a hoodie and shorts and a hat, and like he just signed a. A contract in the NFL, but like he's just a cool, down-to-earth, chill guy. You wouldn't know he's, uh, you know, one of the top, you know, 40 best quarterbacks in the NFL, and a guy that's potentially maybe going to start next year for the Colts, depending on how this all goes. Just super laid-back, super nice. Could not have been, you know, more kind and and more, you know, thoughtful and and giving with his time when he when he talked with us last week after he signed his free agent deal. So he, he's just one of those guys you look forward to dealing with and talking to and. And being around and learning around uh, next year in the locker room for the Colts.
0: All right, so Casey Valier, Gross Fu Manchu, got it. Okay, we've we, we've we've committed to that. What's the, before, before I let you go? What's the overall feeling in the building right now? Because let's face it, 2022 was not fun. It was not the year that anybody expected. You've had some turnover, some not, and, and, and obviously a, a lot of the direction is going to be decided as to are the Colts picking three, are the Colts picking four, Are the Colts picking someplace else? Is it a quarterback? Is is it not? And so I, I realize that some changes have been made, but there's a lot more to go. What's it feeling like in, in, in the building and on 56th Street right now?
2: No, it, it's a good question. I, I think I think what should give Colts fans. Some level of of hope after just a very disappointing season. Like there's no other way to classify it. I mean, it was just a roller coaster of a year. You know, you're four twelve and one. You know, you lose to Minnesota in the fashion that you did. The fourth quarter in Dallas. The head coach gets fired. Offensive coordinator. You know, three different quarterbacks. All of that. I mean, I don't need to rehash it all. I mean, everybody knows uh, what happened, and and most Colts fans lived it. You know, on a week to week basis, but. You know what I always go back to, Greg, there's been whatever the number is, like 30, 32 consecutive years, there has there have been at least four teams make the playoffs that did not the year before. 32 consecutive years, at least four teams make the postseason every year that didn't the year prior. And that number this year in the NFL playoffs, there were 14 teams that made the postseason. Half of the field, seven of the 14 teams, made the playoffs this year that didn't in two thousand twenty one. So the parity is there. You know, it's it's not like baseball or basketball, man. You can you can turn it around real quick, especially if you get the head coach figured out and certainly get the quarterback figured out tweak some things with personnel and free agency, which the Colts have done. Uh, you know, you go back to the the Cincinnati Bengals. Like, they were going to fire Zach Taylor, then all of a sudden here comes Joe Burrow in his second year they go to the AFC Championship game. So, like, the narrative and, like, our perspective on things can change in a hurry in the NFL, and hopefully that's what happens with with this Colts team because – you know, listen, since 2014, they don't have any AFC South championships. Uh, they are, I think, record-wise like 61, 68, and 1 since their last AFC South title. Uh, every team in the division has won at least two AFC South titles since the Colts last won one. Um, so I think everybody understands the urgency. Everybody understands, like, the time is now. Um, you know certainly things have not gone the way anybody scripted them and it's just you know hopefully it's one of those things where the Colts can build up some momentum some consistency and some continuity again especially at quarterback this off season to get off to a good start in 2023 and just see where it goes uh because again it's it's been this upcoming season, Greg, as you know, it's going to be seven consecutive years. Week one, the Colts have a different starting quarterback, and that's going to remain true this year because – you know, uh, Matt Ryan's not here, and it's either going to be Gardner Minshew or Sam Ellinger or a rookie quarterback, whatever. Um, so now it's it, it's time to kind of put it all together, lay the foundation and see where the Colts can take this thing and hopefully get back to relevance and competitive dominance sooner than later, because that's what the owner wants, that's what the fans want, and uh, it's just it's just more fun and it's just easier, as you know, Greg, to do all this and talk about all this when you got a winner as compared to you know the drama and the turmoil that has surrounded this team since 2019
0: of all of your friends that you could be talking with about that conversation about how much easier it's talking about you're talking to the right guy I know believe me
2: I understand (laughs) it and you you have to make definitive uh, you know proclamations and you have to be able to sum things up quicker than anybody else because you're literally talking you know five minutes after the game is over so I'm I'm right there with you, pal. Let's put it I, this I feel, way: I feel for
0: you, and you do a fantastic job of it. We had more pre-show meetings this year than any other year on this program <laughs> ever. I know. <laughs> I like hey, it. I liked to have those again.
2: Let's put our heads together and make sense of this all. Hopefully, you don't have to do that anymore.
0: There you go, buddy. As always, thanks for the time. I know you got some downtime coming up. Enjoy it. I will see you in April. Safe travels, buddy.
2: Yeah, you too. Thank you. I appreciate you.
0: You got it again, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, um, it's always an honor to be the host of the postgame show. The 11th year of me doing it was a little more work than some of the other years. Um, and, and and frankly, I'm not sure what to expect this year. Because, again, in one sense, I'll acknowledge, you know, I'm watching the Super Bowl. Colts beat the Chiefs, and we're not far away from beating the Eagles. And and the Colts stunk last year. At 4-12-1, you are far from good yet you went one and one and and probably could have not crazily in the realm of possibility swept the two teams in the Super Bowl. So in one sense you're not that far away, but when you still have a question mark at the quarterback position, you're just kind of in this wait and see mode. So I I, I can't give you a read as what I think is going to happen in the Colts season until we get past April the 27th. Until I know, okay, this is the quarterback plan. This is the guy they're drafting. This is where I think he is from readiness standpoint. The ball gets handed to Gardner Minshew, or it's going to be handed to the rookie, and let's see what happens. Is there another possibility out there? In other words, you know, seemingly it's like, hey, is it going to be Bryce Young? Probably not. Is it going to be C.J. Stroud? Probably not. His pro day is taking place as we speak in Columbus, by the way. Is it Will Levis? Maybe. Is it Anthony Richardson? Maybe. Is it another veteran? As in Lamar Jackson? Probably not. But we're kind of in a holding pattern. So again, all of these signings are important. And I've sat in on the, on the Gardner-Minshew press conference and the Matt Gay press conference and uh, the Isaiah McKenzie press conference. I uh, didn't hit all of them, but got a good chunk of them. And all those moves are important. But we're all just kind of in uh, Judge Smales on Caddyshack. Well, we're waiting And I would guess that we are 36 days away from an answer. That's April 27th. It's Thursday night of the NFL draft. Maybe a move gets made before then. Probably not. We're all kind of in a holding pattern. Uh, We'll have much more of a definitive answer on the Indiana Pacers before then because their regular season will be over. Is it a season that will include a playoff berth? Well, they've got some winning to do their final 10 games, if that is the case. We had Scott Agnes earlier in the show. I bet Pat Boylan from the Pacers Radio Network. He'll be in this very chair about four and a half hours from now. He'll join us next. It's Greg Rakestraw with you on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. My thanks to Jimmy Cook, who makes my job easy every time I am filling in. Greg Rakestraw here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I literally lead into our next guest. If Pacers Weekly airs 26 weeks of the year, he is stuck listening to me 26 Saturdays, at least like the last two minutes of my show. And then he begins Pacers Weekly. It's Pat Boylan, who is our next guest, joining us here on The Fan. I almost said like good morning instinctively to you because I'm used to seeing you like at 9.57 every Saturday morning.
5: Duck isn't exactly the word I would have gone with, Greg. (laughs) I appreciate the crossover we get there, but you're right. The amount of time that we see each other in the morning versus any other time in the day is is kind of startling. It will be odd to see you uh, potentially here at the state finals in a couple of days and it not be morning
0: that is correct so let's talk about kind of the 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 side gig you will have pacers weekly from 10 until 11 and then you'll be on the 2 A call uh you get blackhawk christian and linton stock i think it's going to be a phenomenal game uh what's jumping off the the, the, uh, the prep notes for you so to speak and getting ready for that one on saturday morning
5: yeah i certainly hope so and and you'd know better than i uh but this is a game where i think you've got two teams um, obviously, with a lot of, of tradition and history of getting there, each are making the third appearance in five years and uh, with some a couple of college level esque players on each of those rosters uh, both with unique situations in terms of their head coach but it is interesting that both of these head coaches are essentially in their first years doing this and at this stage. So I'm really looking forward to it. I hope we get a good one and just kind of looking at the matchups all week. Um, optimistic that we have four good games at Gainbridge Fieldhouse on Saturday. Uh,
0: all right. This is not a topic that you want to get into, uh, but it's obviously something you have to discuss on, on the program, on the broadcast, the rare situation where an interim or temporary coach will be coaching Linton Stockton. Just just what did Noah Hawkins, who's filling in for Joey Hart, what did he have to say about it and how his kids have dealt with it these last couple of weeks?
5: Well, I'll just say I think that he has dealt with it so well. It's it's a, a very difficult situation that they're going through, obviously. And um, everybody's kind of thrown in a direction that they weren't expecting, including him. You know, he comes in uh, and coaches six games and then comes back here Uh, to coach the final two and then the state championship. I I think it speaks to just the foundation uh, that their school has and their program has to be able um, to go through this, you know, unprecedented kind of Rocky stretch here and still get to where they are. I had never had the chance to meet him before I found him um, extremely open, honest, friendly, um, outgoing, all the type of things that I think you would want in a leader. And so um, you know, in a lot of ways this week for me, I, I follow the the high school basketball scene every week, but of course not at the level that you do. I'm not calling games every week like you get the opportunity to do. So in a lot of ways, it feels like, um, you know, when you, would, were, when you would cram for a test back in high school, but in a good way, a test that you want to cram <laughs> for. And, and uh, over the last two days, I've really enjoyed kind of getting to know him chatting with him a little bit and yeah extremely unique circumstance here but I will give him and his boys his team so much credit because um, you know they've they've weathered the storm and it takes it takes a foundation there and I think it takes um some some really st- uh, strong group of kids to uh, be able to accomplish what they have this season just to make it to that stage and to make it to Gainbridge Fieldhouse um, is, is challenging enough so many teams in this state and only 8 of them will be there on Saturday, and for Linton to be one of those, I think, is really impressive.
0: Let's talk about the day job, uh, the Pacers. Um, regardless of what happens the rest of this year, like literally if they were to go 0-10 and finish 32-50, and would this season have been a success for Rick Carlisle and his team?
5: I think so. And when I think back to the beginning of the season, and I'm speaking me personally here, but the things that I wanted to see that I felt like were the most important, well, number one to me was probably – is Tyrese Halliburton going to take that next step? I I think he had shown a lot of flashes in Sacramento, but you didn't really know exactly what he could be because he was in a situation, frankly, similar to Sabonis and Turner in that you couldn't really get to see what those guys were fully because they had another similar player next to them. That was De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento at point guard. And so you had a hunch that you were getting a young player that had the ability to grow into so much more. And I think he started to show that, In his back portion of the season after the trade last year with Indiana, but that was only 25 or so games. So this was his first chance coming into this year too, could he take that next step forward and to me the biggest thing was the guy had already at age 22 established himself as one of the best passers in the nba but could he be the kind of guy that could carry a team from a scoring load perspective could he score 20 plus points per game always been really efficient but could he do that as he needed to take more shots required to get to that 20 point per game and he has checked all of those boxes He's had a, you know, another remarkably efficient season, and he's averaging three, four more points a game than he did last year. And so individually, I thought that was the most important thing. This guy, in terms of one player, um, will determine, in my opinion, where this franchise goes more than any other player on that roster, probably more than anybody in that building. Another thing you wanted to see is Benedict Mather, and whenever you draft around when they picked him at six. Sometimes you'll get superstars at that spot. Sometimes you'll get guys who are out of the NBA in a few years in that spot. And could Benedict Matherin look like the type of guy who one day um, could be one of those key players next to Tyrese Halliburton? And I think um, in a lot of ways, we're still learning what type of player Matherin could be But in general, he has been a top two, I would say, at worst top three rookie in the NBA this year, which is great to get that out of your sixth pick. So those two things I think were probably the two most important things coming in to me. Um, And then also, are are you starting to just see the vision of the team that you can imagine hopefully in, in the future? They went on a great stretch of play really from about game five to game 41. That's when they were in sixth in the East and Tyrese Halliburton went down. And ever since then, when Halliburton went down, the team really struggled. They've had some ups. They've had some downs since. And we don't know where they're going to finish. But I think on balance – when you add Miles Turner's career year into the picture, too, I think it's really easy to envision what this team is capable of if they continue to draft well, if they continue uh, to trade well, if, if that's necessary, and if they can pick up a player or two in free agency. Um, I, I think the big steps that this franchise has needed to take this year, they will be able to check those boxes regardless of how these Final Ten games
0: go. I'm not going to ask you in in terms of, of trying to predict a, a player in terms of they draft or whether it's free agency, et cetera, but when you say, okay, here's the roster spot that needs help, there are now a lot of pieces in place that Franklin are under a contract, not just for next year, but for two, three, four years going forward. If you say, all right, here's what you have to address in the offseason, what's that spot?
5: I, I would say initially a, a stretch power forward who has some ability to rebound. I think as good as Miles Turner has been, which is about best-case scenario for what you could have hoped with DeMontis Sabonis leaving. And really the Pacers haven't seen what Turner can be with him being the sole center since his second year as a pro. Um, he's, He's had a terrific year, but the one thing that's never going to be his strength is rebounding, and the Pacers have struggled to rebound this year. So I think you'd like to see that modern-day type of four that fits in, uh, but also somebody that can help you on the glass there. So I think that stands out. I think with any team in the NBA, this is probably true. For 25 teams or so, uh, you, you could really probably use a 3-and-D type of wing, a good shooter, um, and a good defender on the wing. Um, I, I think you'll start to see Benedict Mathurin next year move into one of those wing roles. And I think he can be that. Obviously, Buddy Heald is a good shooter. But you can never have too many of those players. So I think, you know, probably a – what you would call a three maybe five or six years ago. Now teams often will play three small forwards, if you will. Um, But I think you could use another guy there for depth. um, And I think you could use – that stretch four um, who has the ability to hit the three and defend. And how that comes, you know, there's a lot of ways you can get it. The Pacers will uh, almost assuredly be drafting at least in the top half of the draft. They will have uh, Cleveland's pick, which is late first round, Boston's pick, which is late first round. And another thing to watch here if you're a Pacers fan is what Houston does. You're actually. Uh, rooting for Houston to lose the rest of the way, because if the Rockets finish in last or second to last in the NBA standing, then through a really convoluted process, the Pacers get that pick, which is essentially 31 or 32. That's where they got Andrew Nemhard last mm-hmm. year, who's looking like a really solid pro. So there is a lot to watch, uh, you know, in terms of where the Pacers could pick, where those other teams finish and, and where Houston finishes as well. Uh, the Pacers beating the Rockets a few weeks ago, I think, was more significant than some might realize.
0: All right, before we let you go, quick scouting report. Raptors, the opponent tonight. Again, they are two spots in front of the Pacers, three games clear of them as far as kind of 9-10. and 10, uh, Last couple of play-in spots. What are your expectations from Toronto this evening?
5: It's obviously a huge game because of all the reasons you just said, Greg, and unfortunately it's hard to come up with a scouting report at the moment because Tyrese Halliburton is questionable. Right. The Pacers are a team that's been over 500 when he's played and they're 4-14 and when he hasn't. So obviously that is going to be the biggest determining factor of uh, what the Pacers might look like tonight. They've also beaten Milwaukee without him recently. They lost to Charlotte without him recently. So the version of the Pacers without him um, has been inconsistent. It's not to say if they don't have him, they can't win. You know, one of the wild stats, and this is also, uh, it comes with a couple of asterisks, but the Pacers have not won a regular season game in the city of Toronto since 2013. It's oh, jeez. 15 straight. <laughs> now, they beat Toronto in Tampa right. in the COVID year, and they won a road game there in the playoffs, which is, of course, more important than any of those 15 games. But it still stands that they haven't won that build- in that building in a very long time. Uh, the Pacers hadn't won in Milwaukee in a very long time until they did so. Uh, about a week ago. So they've got a chance to exercise a couple of demons here over the course of a a week or so. Uh, But Toronto, that just speaks to how consistent they've been. If you look at Toronto since 2013, they haven't always been the championship contender like they were when they won a title, but they have always been consistently good. It's a consistently tough place to play. It's always sold out. It's one of the biggest arenas in the NBA too. And going to Toronto isn't always the easiest trip. So, yeah, hands are full, and we'll see if a uh, if a record in a street can't come down tonight in Toronto.
0: As always, buddy, thanks for the time, and uh, look forward to crossing paths with you again on Saturday morning. Take care, buddy. We'll talk soon.
5: Likewise, Greg. Appreciate it.
0: You got it. Pat Boylan, again, kind enough to join us. Thank you, Don Carlisle, Scott Agnes, Matt Taylor, Pat Boylan, all for being a part of the program today. Podcast available at 1075thefan.com. You'll catch Pat on the pregame show at 7 o'clock right here on 93.5 and 1075 the fan. I've got three little kind of news and nuggets stories to wrap up the show when we come back here on The Fan. All right, I have news about a former Ron Colley Rebel, now Royal, so it seems fitting before I get to that. that another proud Ron Cali alum, in fact, the voice of the Royals these days, has his Jay Cook Play of the Day. The Jay Cook
5: Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not
2: a athlete. This is my Boy, this is how I
5: win. Today's plays of the day. We're sticking in the NBA. Gonna take the Philadelphia 76ers on the money line in Chicago against the Bulls.
2: Also gonna take the Dallas Mavericks on the money line as they host the Golden State Warriors and closing things out, taking the Los Angeles Lakers, staying out west on the money line straight up as they
0: battle the Phoenix Suns. Two-and-two two yesterday, two and two on the week. Plays on Twitter at the J Cook. You know, real degenerates would play to the NIT or the CBI. Just saying. Playing all playing all the NBA games is so bland of you,
4: James. I know. I I would be honest, even though I'm I'm I like those picks, didn't dive into full degeneracy as Give I Give me Eastern Kentucky
0: book. Charlotte. That's what I want to see. Yeah. That's how you get it done. All right. Uh congratulations, I suppose, to Cole Toner, young man that fantastic football player at Ron Collie. Got a Harvard education, spent parts of seven years of the National Football League, announced via social media today that he is hanging him up. Congratulations to Cole. I know Cole, his mom and dad, very well because of their work uh, as the athletic director, assistant athletic director, et cetera, at Ron Collie High School. So never had a chance to call many of Cole's games, but felt like I knew him through that and he and I have interacted numerous times over the years before and I know that he will be successful in life. Congratulations Cole uh, after seven years in the National Football League uh, Speaking of things Southside, this is a downtown event because it's it's really supported by Kyle Konezovich. I give it a Southside tint. This reminder Golden Gloves go every Thursday between now and April 20th and you can win tickets when you log on to 1075thefan.com. Golden Gloves at the Armory is always a great time. And this news from college basketball locally, Luke Brown, phenomenal high school career at Blackford, Indiana All-Star two years ago, went to Stetson, came back to Ball State, went back to Stetson. He is shifting locales again. This time, he is changing divisions. He is going from the NCAA Division I ranks to the NAIA ranks. He is going to play in the Crossroads League at Indiana Wesleyan. Indiana Wesleyan, good every year. Um, Luke will be very good at that level. But there are also teams that have great players pretty much all the way across the board in that league as well. I'm fortunate to see a lot of games in that league with what we do with Marion, with the ISC Sports Network. But Luke Brown coming home and we'll play at Indiana Wesleyan. So I'm sure that'll be blowing up some selected social media accounts over the course of the next few hours. Thought I would pass that along to you. Thank you to Jimmy Cook for his hard work today. Thank you to our guests in terms of Don Carlisle, Scott Agnes, Matt Taylor, Pat Boylan. All of those interviews available, if not already, they're available on the podcast page soon at 1075thefan.com. I am heading to the south side myself, heading to Primo's Banquet Hall, one of my most fun nights of the year. It is induction ceremonies night. For the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, Um, amongst the notables going in this year, Brad Stevens, Brian Evans, Eric Montross. I'm a little uh, personally biased towards my buddy Dennis Goins, who gets the nod tonight as well. Silver anniversary class and more. Banquet starts at 6. If you're not going, you can watch it, iscsportsnetwork.com and ISC's social media channels. Who's in tomorrow from noon to 3? I don't know. I'm sure they'll be fantastic. I'll talk to you next on Saturday morning for Soccer Saturday.